Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers. This week on the show, we look at the benefits of reflecting on your last exam sitting to help you going forward, and how starting early can make all the difference come December. We also look at recent news stories, including the video sharing giant who plans to end targeted ads on children's videos, and the global e-commerce company that's struggling to keep its products safe, before getting to this week's student questions. I'm Connor, and I'm joined today by our CEO, Philip. Hi, everybody. So, Philip, today, I suppose one of the things we want to look at and, you know, the exams are just over. People are trying to reset. It's it's hard to think straight away about your next exam, but how important it is to kind of reflect on some of the things that worked well for you last sitting and maybe that didn't work well and bring that into your study in the coming months. I think that... Well, one of the nice things is that because of the four sittings a year now, um, when I was studying, it was only two and you kind of completely lose momentum. But with the four sittings, you can keep going, keep a kind of, you know, keep the momentum light straight after the exam, maybe do a bit of planning for the next sitting, write down a few notes of what kind of went wrong. Did you not practice enough questions? Did you not do enough mocks or something like that? And then kind of if you plan that out, then you'll get a good bit of momentum started for the next sitting. Yeah, and I think one of the things we do always do after each sitting is our um, student surveys. And we try to, we will be relaying the information from that in the next few weeks. But one of the big things that always comes out in it is, you know, students saying they maybe studied for less than four weeks. And we get a lot of comments saying, I wish I started earlier. So I think it's really important for people if you do find you're in that category of, you know, wishing you'd started a bit early to take some of that pressure off, don't make that same mistake twice. You know, it, it, we're going to go through a bit today about the benefits of starting early and doing a little bit, you know, often. But I think if if you did find that was a struggle, don't make that same mistake again, because it will relieve so much um, of that pressure and stress as you get closer to the exam. If you do have a bit of that workload banked in early. Yeah, I think habit forming is really important when you're studying. Uh, if you start off a light kind of plan, just do a bit, build up a bit of momentum, it just makes it so much easier later on when you're kind of under stress and under pressure. At least you know that you've done a bit of work. Yeah, I think, and and we, you know, that's something we'd often talk about is that whole idea of building it into your routine. And if you, you know, if you can build it in now when, you know, you don't have to be doing a huge amount of hours each week, just make it part of your routine. So alongside your work and your exercise and other things that you do, your study is in that routine. And if you're, you know, tipping away at that these couple of weeks, it makes it a lot easier to kind of ramp that up a little bit as you get closer to the exams. But what we'd always go back to is it's a lot easier to do, you know, uh, a little or a solid amount of study each week for 12 weeks than to have to do six weeks of this intense, you know, couple of hours every day. Yeah, I think also it should be genuine study. I think what you might find with a lot of people is they say, OK, well, I'm going to study now for the next 12 weeks. And they sit there and they'll read the manual for a half an hour or they'll just watch a lecture or they'll just kind of read over a set of notes and feel that they're doing something. I think it's also important to start practicing the questions straight away because you need to familiarize yourself with the exam as much as you need to understand the content. So if you're going to study one day, do maybe a practice question the next day. Make sure that what you're actually studying is useful to you. There's no point in wasting a few weeks thinking that you're studying and you're not. Yeah, and that that was actually, and I know Alan mentioned it um, on one of the previous podcasts, 
something that the ACCA said in a lot of their examiner reports was it was clear um, in students' papers that they'd only done a few weeks of, of study. And they talked about the benefit of, you know, if you're studying over a longer period of time, you get a much stronger grasp of key concepts. And they could spot those students who'd obviously been working over over time, had a mix of understanding the theory, but having applied it in questions. So a big thing that they are pushing with students now is is to spread that, spread your study over a longer period of time so you can absorb that knowledge because um, I think we've all crammed for exams. I'm sure you have as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're there's so much going on in your head when you're trying to get through lots of material that you're, it's not, it, you don't have a good foundation of knowledge or theory to back it up. Yeah, I think one of the key things of my study whenever I was studying was always there was a certain level of denial. Uh, when I would practice questions, I'd have the notes with me or I'd have the solution nearby and I'd read the question and I'd look at the solution. I'd go, oh yeah, of course I'd do that. That's a, definitely, I'd write that down. Yeah. I'm 100% sure I'd do that. And then when I took all that stuff away and I tried to start the question myself, I wouldn't know where to begin. And I think that's one of the the important parts of your study is to actually get rid of your notes and have a go at the question and see if you can genuinely start it. Because I I think whenever you're sitting in the exam, uh, you get a bit of a shock from the exam environment and you need to have a little bit more confidence and a bit more relaxed. And if you feel that you can start the question, at least you'll feel, OK, well, I've got a bit of momentum here. I can get going. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've we talked about that a lot um, as it got closer to the exams. But it's really important as early as possible if you, like you said, if you can replicate that experience of doing a question without your notes or without a solution, you know, of working under time pressure, the sooner you can replicate that, the more confident you're going to get so that when it gets to the exam, it's nothing new being handed a new question, trying it under exam conditions. So I think that's that's really important. Um, so one of the things we want to talk about now is the, I suppose, the benefit of making a study plan early. Uh, one of the things that I'd say is, you know, if, for people starting a new exam and these courses, there's obviously a lot in them. And when you look at a syllabus, there's a lot of topics and they can become quite daunting. But really, when you break it down into a plan, it becomes so much more manageable. So for your own I suppose, motivation and to de-stress yourself, just having that plan, a plan of attack for the next couple of weeks to get you through that material, to get you through all your question practice, I think that just makes a huge difference for students' mindsets. Yeah, it can be overwhelming when you see a new syllabus, especially if you are later on in the exam cycle and you suddenly encounter a whole massive course. If you see it earlier, you'll be a bit more comfortable with it, you'll be a bit more relaxed and you can just get started. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's something um, on our weekly webinars we often talk about, particularly at this early stage, is, you know, students, when they, they go on a new course, sometimes they just don't really know where to start and then they end up doing nothing. Whereas I think as a starting point, if you download your um, the interactive study timetable, which we have for all the courses, you'll just, you'll see how manageable it is, how you can get through the material, what's the best way to approach the material and we've talked quite in detail about how we design those, but it does come back to that um, that point Philip had about, you know, incorporating question practice and testing yourself into your study. So it's not about just watching videos for eight weeks. It's all about looking at a new topic, testing yourself on that question, maybe attempting that same question again, and then really getting a good understanding of that topic. 
Um, so as a starting point for everyone, we would be be pushing you towards those study plans, even just for your own sake, because I think everyone's seeing that. When you can see a course, how it's broken down, um, you know, over the weeks leading up to the exam, it just does become a lot more manageable. I think there's two things that are nice about the timetables. Is one, you need to kind of, you get a sense of what content needs to be covered each week, how much needs to be covered, but also being told which question to do alongside it. Yeah, I always found it, that if you're studying a topic and you're going through past papers or something like that, finding a relevant question or you might start a question, then you find it's not relevant. So having the question listed beside it is very useful. Yeah. And I think that that point on routine that we came back to, when you can see, you know, the amount of um, work that you need to get through within a week, it becomes a lot easier to to plug that into your kind of broader um, weekly plan or your calendar. So you know, if you look at that and you think these are the the videos I need to watch, the questions I need to do, the MCQ tests I need to do, you can suddenly start looking at your week when you have time. Um, you know, even if it's just an hour on your lunch or before work or in the evening, you can start to plug in that amount of work. And what you'll find is it's actually, you know, if you're starting now, the those study timetables are a very manageable workload that, you know, they've been designed with someone who is working in mind kind of modern young professional who has lots of different commitments so it becomes the sooner you start the um easier and less of a i suppose less of a burden on your own time that that this is if you can build it in now it's no real burden you, you just need to look at it as part of your routine i also think it's important to remember that if you're waiting for exam results a lot of people say oh well i'll start studying when i know what my next exam is because learn signal is access to all courses if you start studying for your next exam now, even if you don't get the result you want in the middle of October, you can swap over and there's no risk, of, there's no additional cost, there's no kind of yeah. transfer of issues. You just get started on the exam that you have to repeat and you might even be able to do the two exams together and still keep up your momentum and get through your your uh, qualification quicker because at least you'll have laid the groundwork for the new course as well. Yeah, and I think, and we always come back to this point, um, students are very worried about, you know, how it, it eats into their their time, their social life, and they don't have time. But, you know, if you spread it over the full 12 weeks, you'll still have plenty of time for all the other aspects of your life. Whereas if you leave it for six weeks now, it means that six weeks leading up to December, you're going to have no time for anything because you're going to be trying to catch up on everything. So you're actually making your... Um, you know, your week is going to be nicer for the next 12 weeks rather than sacrificing the six weeks where you just have to solely focus on study. But even if you say to yourself, OK, well, I'll study twice as hard for the six weeks as I would over the 12 weeks, you still don't give yourself enough time to build up that kind of muscle memory of how to practice your question, how to get a question started. And that's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I suppose our, our final point on that is do have a look for those. Um, you'll find all those study timetables up on the course resource section of your course page. But do have a look at it. If you're looking at a new course, it will make it a lot more manageable and it will help you start to plan out your, your plan of attack for the next sitting and build that into your routine. Also, just one last note, if you don't find it, you can always ask some one of our tutors on the tutor support where you can get your exam timetable and they'll direct you to it. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider.
So our first story this week is that video sharing giant YouTube plans to end targeted ads on videos aimed at kids. This is in response to an investigation of whether they've breached the Children's Online Privacy Act um, and they've had to make an undisclosed settlement with the Federal Trade Commission. So targeted ads require you to, um, I suppose, save information on the viewer and then you use this to advertise to them. And I think YouTube have maintained previously that it's not a site for kids. They have a dedicated kids site, I think, but there's still children's videos up on the main YouTube with billions of views and these all have ads. So they're looking at removing this, which might cost them up to $50 million um, a year in uh, estimated ad sales. But it's, you know, if you took a cynical look, you might say that's less than the future settlements they have to pay. But a lot of people are calling this a very positive step in the right direction. So you have kids. Is there a YouTube kids? Yeah, um, there is a YouTube kids channel. But to be honest, I think that I let them watch the, the main one more just because that's the one that's on my phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it kind of, there'll be a lot of, kids uh, stuff like Sesame Street is the main one that yeah, the kids yeah. would watch and that's all over the main YouTube channel so there'll be a lot of viewing but in terms of the the kind of financial like kind of 50 million a year to YouTube isn't a lot yeah. of money it's no, a it's, tiny it's amount not, it's, it's kind of a rounding error for, from their point of view yeah. if you think that YouTube is the second most popular search engine in the world after Google mm. so it outranks Bing or anything else and I think kind of Amazon is probably up there as number three or something like that it's not going to have a huge impact so they're making a kind of it makes them sound like they're doing a lot yeah, when they're not really doing no, much and it's, yeah yeah and it's um, yeah like e- even that's what they said that the settlement was undisclosed um, but you'd imagine particularly you know they're coming under a lot of fire for this it's something that um, is obviously you know starting to affect their brand and could affect more. So I suppose they're really looking to get ahead of the curve. And yeah, as I said, 50 million yeah, a year to them is... All these things, if you look at any of the fines from the EU or from the FTC, they're all rounding errors in terms of real money. They never make a massive dent. I think 5 billion was one yeah, of the biggest... Yeah, the, the Facebook one. Yeah, and that, that's still not a huge impact. But I think it's more of a corporate governance thing that they're looking at from the point of view of if they need to be seen to be doing the right thing rather than looking at it from a financial point of view because if they're seen to be doing the right thing here they're less at risk of being ex- of being investigated in other places and i think they're trying to placate the the governing uh kind of government institutes at this stage rather yeah. than worry about the financial aspects yeah and then the other thing the other issue which a lot of people are saying is how you you know and obviously something new like this to build it to a level that you can police it appropriately is difficult, but I suppose they're trying to look at all videos that are directed at children. That was the the wording, but it's it is difficult to manage what you classify as a children's video. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be some level of susceptibility that you're still advertising to children. But I think if they're making you know positive steps to actually actively avoid doing that that yeah. is almost a good thing yeah you can there's only so much that anyone can do to get it absolutely right it's to make sure that they're doing as much as possible you know kind of ticking age appropriate boxes when you're uploading content and stuff like that would help a lot um, and just kind of being a bit more thorough in how people put the videos on in the first place will probably be a good starting point 
Yeah. So another story, which is in a kind of similar um, situation here, another big company coming under fire. But this is to do with Amazon, who um, have got a lot of negative criticism for its failure to address fake and unsafe products which are on their site from third party sellers. So the Wall Street Journal did an investigation and found thousands of products which have previously been deemed unsafe, have been banned um, or banned, you know, on other sites or are inappropriately labeled uh, that are still, you know, available for sale on Amazon. You also have this issue of counterfeit products that are undercutting the price of other vendors. So you often hear people say, well, I'll just get that on Amazon for a fraction of the cost. But in lots of cases, they're buying unsafe products which have failed to meet safety regulations um, you know, that other vendors have to adhere to. Um, so it looks like Amazon are starting to get that Facebook moment where suddenly they're, you know, being made very accountable for their content um, that they have. But obviously that's, you know, for a company like them, they should be. Yeah, I think the, the place to look for Amazon is to look to China for this because Alibaba was the first person to, or first site to really encounter this kind of a problem where they had, massive issues with counterfeit products uh, there was loads of brands who were complaining directly to Alibaba about you know kind of Gucci knockoff bags being sold by vendors and stuff like that and they had to do a lot of work on policing and managing their site to make sure that the genuine product was what was being sold now they haven't got it right but I think that they put a lot of time and effort into making it better so maybe Amazon should take a a bit of advice yeah, from Alibaba from my, yeah. and you know, learn from the masters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like the last um, story which we were talking about and, and we've actually, I don't know if it's the year that's in it, but every second week there seems to be another story about another big company find or kind of failing their customers in some way. But, you know, there's obviously huge implications for their brand. And if Amazon lose that trust of people, you know, going to them ahead of other providers, that there's huge implications for them. Um, so, you know, f- from from that side of it, it's obviously the, in their interest to not only match their low price, but with quality products that consumers feel a certain level of safety when they are purchasing from them. Yeah, see, there's, there's two scenarios with discounted pricing on Amazon. One is where somebody has spare stock left over and they just want to get rid of it and they've already paid for it. So they just knock down the price to sell it. And then there's people who are selling genuine knockoff products. So it is harder to understand, but that's where I think customer ratings and a bit of community policing would really matter. Because if the customer ratings are high on somebody, but they're selling a product at a low price, that should be a bit of comfort. Whereas if somebody has poor ratings and they're selling something at a low price, that should be a kind of a red flag. Yeah. And I think, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but I saw one story where you, I wonder if you've heard someone made an Amazon bestseller book, but when people got the, it was actually an empty book or there was one page, but <laughs> by kind of manipulating reviews and different things on it, they were able to become <laughs> this Amazon bestseller. And then when it was getting more sales, it got more traction. And this, this is, this is the kind of the, the, the algorithms and the stuff that is going on in the back of Amazon, because people are now working out how to manipulate those. There was one scenario with a book that I think was for sale for $13 million. And it was, there was one copy of the book available and there was one person who was selling it. And then there was another guy who had a much better ranking on Amazon. 
And what he was doing is he was pricing it at 10% above the other seller and then he was going to buy from that other seller and distribute it because he had the better ranking. So what the other guy was doing was that he was marking the price at 95% of the highest price. And so the algorithms were propping each other up. So it went up to 13 million for the book. (laughs) So there are ways to manipulate Amazon. Yeah, and I suppose the the role of those companies is to constantly make sure that they're you know, monitoring that and policing that and ensuring because there's always going to be people who, who look to take advantage and, <laughs> yeah. and sure why why not if they if it's there, you know, it is the role of those companies to control their their the service that they're offering and the, yeah, the products on it, I would say. It's a it's about defining what is the true benefit, you know, kind of what's the damage to the brand, what's the true value of letting people do what they want on a site. Yeah. And I think that that was what we saw with, with Facebook. They were kind of trying to deny accountability of a lot of ways people were manipulating their site but you know they quickly realized that if you're going to be this global player that has these huge impacts that you need to take you can't have a passive role in how you monitor that yeah i think what's also going to be important is that with these most of these companies being based in the u.s there is a big kickback from politicians in the u.s about breaking these companies up and i think they are going on the defensive by improving their corporate governance and becoming more aware of these problems and learning to deal with them so that they don't get broken up like big conglomerates. Each week at the end of the show, we answer questions sent in by our listeners. You can send in your questions by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at LearnSignal. So with the new exam season starting for the December exams, I suppose a lot of people are coming back to study after maybe taking a break over the summer or making taking a break for one or two sessions. And some of the questions that we're getting at the moment are around any syllabus changes and any syllabus updates that might have happened over the last while. So I suppose, Connor, you're in the best position to answer this yeah, question. I've been, yeah. I've, unfortunately for me, I've had to be going through all these these uh, the syllabus. So with ACCA, there was a um, new syllabus issued for all the courses for um, the September 2019 sitting. And, um, you know, it can look and I can understand how a student would, would think because they see this new syllabus issued that there could be all this new material. But you know, in most cases, it's it's actually there's very little or very immaterial changes. But we have at LearnSignal been through all these and we've updated all the courses accordingly and we've updated all our study plans accordingly. So any changes that have been made, um, we have updated our courses to reflect that. But just for, you know, for students own interest, um, if you do go to any of the syllabus, we have them all within the resource section of our course page. Um, so you can find the new syllabus there. But you'll find at the very back of that, they actually say what changes from the last syllabus are there. So even though it's this maybe 20 page document, the very last page says any changes. And what you'll see is most of the time it's changes to wording and maybe to reflect kind of new wording the examiner is using or, or new um, in some of the financial reporting things, new wording that's that's used there. But there's not a lot of new learning outcomes and they'll call out any new specific learning outcomes. And if there were any of those, um, and I'll go through some of them now, we have updated the courses accordingly. Um, but really, so the the, the only real, um, or I suppose the only really trend that I saw in the syllabus updates is there's much more of a, a focus coming towards um, technology and things like data analytics. So across a few courses that has been kind of called out more specifically. Um, so if you are doing courses like SBL or APM 
or even AFM, you're going to see that there's there's a little bit more of a focus on um, different elements of kind of technology and data analytics. They've brought things like cryptocurrency, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. That's called out now in um, in advanced financial management and in SBL. Um, so there are a few little bits at it, but um, in terms of, you know, there's no actual major syllabus up up dates to, to courses there's nothing that's you know going to come from left wing that's this huge new examinable area yeah so it's more about kind of discussive discursive topics rather yeah. than kind of technically yeah i think so i think it's more about um you know looking at the what's going on in the real world they're trying to bring that a bit more into the syllabus so in in certain courses we talked uh, you'd see um about you know sources of finance and they've kind of brought things like cryptocurrency and initial coin offerings into that um, or kind of technology trends for big companies. They're bringing things like um, blockchain and big data that comes in and the, the power of data. So it's it's things you're seeing in the real world that you're seeing very topical and in a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of news around, but there's not going to be a huge question that's specifically just on that area that you need to have a really in-depth knowledge of how cryptocurrencies work. It kind of plays into that whole area of reading around your course and not just studying the material directly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, what we'd always say, and particularly when students are getting to, to strategic professional, but at all exams, it's trying to, you know, look at that in a real world situation. And in all the exams, you're given scenarios of companies and they try to reflect real world situations. So it's trying to have that that mindset of, you know, what it's really like. And what was interesting for us looking at the new syllabus updates is when we were putting together our CPD courses, a lot of the um, syllabus updates actually reflected courses which we were making for CPD, which there's a lot of demand for, again, around those elements like blockchain and cryptocurrency that have become so so topical. Um, so it's, it is kind of, once again, you can see it's reflecting the real world and what real professionals are looking to find out. Yeah, it's becoming a big part of accounting firms is kind of looking at the whole how to use blockchain, how to use these tools that are now becoming available. I know uh, uh, EY are going to be doing some blockchain work as well over the next while. So we, you know, kind of these topics are very relevant to, yeah. to work, not just to kind of the exam. Yeah, and I think that reflects what, you know, the bodies are trying to do. Um, the goal of ACCA is obviously to, to be bringing out the strongest professionals and they're going out into the workforce. So, you know, employers in the workforce want people who, who understand these relevant topics. So, so that, which is great to see, that is starting to be reflected in, um, in the different uh, syllabus. So I think we'll finish up there today. Um, a big thank you to Philip for coming on. We My might pleasure. get him back before uh, before too long. Uh, but yeah, I think our big takeaway from today is, you know, those benefits of starting early and, you know, how important it is and how it'll actually save you stress in the long run. So if you're looking for a way to start, we would point you towards um, those study plans, which you'll all find available. But as Philip said, if you do have any questions on the study plan, you can go to um, the Learn Signal site at any stage and ask our tutors. Um, so best of luck with getting back into the study and we'll see you again soon. Thanks.